Blessed are the pure in heart, divine, whose spirits soar and brightly shine. With innocence that's unalloyed, they find the beauty life's deployed. In every soul they seek the good, in every corner understood. Their vision clear like crystal streams, reflecting love in all its beams. No hidden motives cloud their sight, no darkness dims their inner light. With open hearts and spirits free, they dance with joy and harmony. In every trial they'll endure, with steadfast faith their hearts secure. For in the pureness of their core, a strength that's boundless they'll explore. They sow the seeds of love's own creed in every thought, in every deed. And from the ashes, blooms arise, a paradise before our eyes. Blessed are they whose hearts forgive. In bitterness, they'll never live. Their kindness like a soothing breeze, embracing souls with tender ease. Their souls a canvas blank and white, they'll paint with hues of pure delight. With love's own palette, they'll create a masterpiece transcending fate. In moments dark, they'll be the light, a beacon shining through the night, their love contagious, spreading wide. In every heart, a fire is tied. So let us learn from those who shine, the pure in heart, the love divine. In uplifting tones, their spirits soar, and in their love, we'll find much more. I know because it's my Baylor tumbler and I don't I don't take it out of the house often. And last night, with a minute left in the third quarter, there was a 99.9% chance we were going to lose the football game. So when I looked at my team on the outside, it felt really hopeless. It's like there's no way we're gonna win. Y'all, biggest comeback in Baylor history. They won the game last night. Yeah, I know. I was excited. What appeared to be certain on the outside was not actually the reality on the inside. Now, you might have also noticed my shoes this morning. I have some shoes. Uh, let me, I'm going to pull them off so that the folks who are uh, joining us online, hi, friends online, so that they can see my lovely shoes, too. I, I'm pretty excited about my shoes. They're... Uh, they're, they're an improvement to my wardrobe that really can't be matched. Uh, with the LEDs, you can, you can change the setup. Uh, they, are a, they are a very visible external thing. And it is very easy, isn't it, for us to focus on the external. I, it's the first thing you notice when you see someone. You, you walk up to somebody and you see what is happening on the outside. You don't immediately see what's happening on the inside. In fact, what you see on the outside can sometimes even be opposite or distraction from what's happening on the inside. So I've got my bright, shiny shoes, but do my bright, shiny shoes mean anything? Well, as great as they are, not, not really. See, today we are obviously still in our journey through the Beatitudes, and we're in chapter 5, verse 8. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And so when I was given this week, I was like, blessed are the pure in heart. I've really got to meditate on this. I've got to think about it. Band, don't come out yet. They were supposed to come out when I said the word meditate, and it is a little too early. Uh, stay there. Stay there. I knew, I, I knew it would be in my mind today. No, I had, to, I had to think on this. I had to think on what it, what it means that blessed are the pure in heart. Because we have associations with the word purity, right? And sometimes they aren't very good because we've all seen that idea of purity get abused. We've seen it become an outside flashy thing that, that misses the point entirely. Uh, it, we try to do impressive things sometimes to fit in a box of purity. We try to do flashy things and sometimes those flashy things completely miss the mark of what we're going for. So blessed are the pure in heart, though, that should be a countercultural thing. See, we have, we have a culture, and I would say every culture in history has had some degree of it. We focus on the outside. In our world, even more so. We've got people on social media that, that have a particular thing that they focus on. You know, they're... they're people on social media who, who focus on helping the poor and then they get exposed by somebody else because in actuality, they were doing it for the likes and the intention on their TikTok or their, their YouTube video. And the reality was that they were trying to put on a show for people to watch. They were trying to look like they had pure hearts and generous motives, but there was a deeper reality that what was actually happening on the inside was not reflective of what was happening on the outside. Now, the reality is in following Christ, and we see it very much in the Beatitudes, we see this, this kingdom flipped on its head. We see this upside-down view of the world that was opposite of what was happening in the culture. There were these cultural expectations of what people would do and how people would look. And then as we go through the Beatitudes, we see that what Jesus is showing us is something different. So when we hear Jesus say, blessed are the pure in heart, we are looking for something countercultural, something different than our world. So what does blessed are the pure in heart mean? Well, the heart was considered more, like even in biblical times, more than, than a seat, than the seat of emotions it was the center of a person's innermost being. It was the place where decisions are made. So we're coming from something deeper here. Now, purity and cleanliness, when we look at that word purity, that was an ingrained thought pattern in the culture. There was a focus on purity, especially among the Pharisees and the Sadducees to a degree. Sadducees were a little more political. Pharisees were a bit more religious leaders. So the Pharisees, they, they would be obsessed sometimes with purity and what that meant. And going all the way back to the Old Testament, we've got all these commandments that become a list of things that are goals, that are laws that they work on toward this goal of purity. Now, people who I imagine might have looked at the ritualistic purity of the Pharisees and religious leaders, they, they would look, and as they looked at that ritualistic purity, it becomes a superficial standard. Like, especially for the average person, looking at these Pharisees, they've got this superficial standard of purity that's something that people just can't live up to. 
It's too hard. Now, over time, this idea of purity, it starts, it starts to miss the mark of what even purity is all about. Now, for me, deeply ingrained in my theology, because I feel like I see it in the is the idea of loving God and loving others. So whenever I am sorting through the details of my theology, I look back to that. Because when we look at the Old Testament, we look at the Ten Commandments, our core Ten Commandments, we see that those Ten Commandments are about half about our love for God and about half about our love for other people. So if we're looking at the laws in context of what it means to be pure, for me, I look back to the Old Testament and I go, okay, the core laws, the foundation that we expand from is based on our love for God and our love for others. Now, that's not just an Old Testament concept, of course. In fact, we notice it more in the New Testament when Jesus is asked the greatest commandment, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So we've got love for God and love for others, and we see the commandments building off this love for God and love for others. So when I think of the word purity, even though we have this temptation as a culture to look at purity as a specific box set of actions and certain things you do, and if you do these things, then you're pure, well, that, that can lead us in the wrong direction, if that is the foundation. Because the foundation is love for God and love for others. And then the actions, those innermost heart, those emotional, those decisions that build from it, those should be about loving God and loving others. So if checking the boxes of purity starts to not match what loving God and loving others looks like, then we have to pause and question, okay, am I doing things because I'm told they're pure or am I actually being pure of heart and seeking God in the things that I'm doing. You see, there are pitfalls to purity. When we just take the word and we take our culture stereotypes and we don't actually think through how we're seeking God with our hearts. Now, like any person doing a good message, I've sorted it out to three points because that's what you're supposed to do, right? So pitfall number one, external effort that ignores an internal reality. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 to 26, we hear Jesus saying, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the, of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. See, we can get so focused on the outside, so focused on the appearances, and not necessarily with negative attention. Those are just the things that we get taught to focus on. Sometimes it feels easier, especially young in our faith, to focus on the checklist because maybe we don't have the spiritual maturity yet to understand why those things even got on the list. So we focus sometimes so much on the external reality that we miss the internal reality. And this is one thing those Pharisees would have gotten into. Now let's think about, for, for a second, let's rewind. Let's think about the people listening to the Sermon on the Mount. When the, the sermon begins, the people following Jesus at that time, as Jesus comes back, it says, 
When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside. After he sat down, his disciples came to hear him. Now, these are crowds. They've been following him around. They're gathering. A lot of them would be average people who look at the Pharisees, who look at these external standards and didn't feel like they could live up to them. Amid these crowds, undoubtedly, there were some religious leaders that got in the mix going, okay, why is everybody gathering to watch this guy? There would have been a lot of people there that were just like, I heard this guy's doing some healing. I need some healing. I'm sick. I'm injured. I need Jesus for this. So you've got this mix of people, and a lot of them being people that were just hanging on Jesus' words and that looked at these external standards of purity and would have felt that it was out of reach. But we've got these Pharisees that this crowd would look up to as their religious leaders. In a lot of ways, theologically, they're a lot like Jesus, and yet there's something missing. And one of those issues is they've become so focused on that outside, that external purity, that they're forgetting to worry about the inside, forgetting to focus on who they are deep down. They get busy checking boxes. Now, the tragedy is that these are the people who should have understood Jesus the best. They had the best foundation in the Old Testament, the best foundation in theology to get Jesus. I think of it a bit like, how many of you have ever had your refrigerator go bad and you didn't realize it for a while? It's a, it's a horror, so, so many of you are blessed out there. I, I am so glad it's never happened to you and I pray that it doesn't. Because it is a horrifying experience when a refrigerator goes out And that door is left shut and the things inside are sealed inside and the outside looks just fine. If it's your like meat refrigerator out in the garage, you may not even notice it's broken because you don't go out to that refrigerator every day. The, The outside looks just fine. So maybe you walk past that refrigerator and you think that everything is perfectly good. But then one day, Nightmare of nightmares. You open that refrigerator. You might or might not see what's inside because you don't have time for vision because the smell hits you like a world-class fighter coming out to destroy you and everything you love. It's horrifying. Even though the outside looked just fine, what's inside can become so disgusting that it festers and things things grow in there y'all <laughs> things grow and the, when the inside gets messed up even if the even if that inside is sealed off and hidden things grow in there and it gets gross and smelly oh it's horrifying sorry i had to clean a refrigerator that was like this a couple of years ago was, see the pharisees so many of them had gotten focused on cleaning the outside on that external purity, but they had forgotten about what was happening on the inside. So even though they were trying to be pure, they were missing it. And see, there are external efforts that just miss the point of our internal reality. 
So there's this type of Pharisees. Uh, I heard they were called Keziah Pharisees. I didn't actually learn that name the first time I heard of it, but I was looking them back up. They were nicknamed Black and Blue Pharisees. Can you guess why they were nicknamed that? So here's the thing. These black and blue Pharisees were so worried about not like seeing a woman and like falling into temptation from seeing her that they would walk around with their eyes closed. They would literally walk into walls, (laughs) y'all. Like they would literally end up black and blue with bruises because they were so focused on this external appearance. And let me tell you, you, you don't do something ridiculous like that to actually avoid temptation. It's one thing to go, ah, I got to avert my eyes. That's, that's a temptation for me. It's another thing entirely to make a spectacle of yourself by covering your eyes and walking into walls and, and injuring yourself. See, sometimes our external effort misses the point of our internal reality. And that can be well-intentioned too. We start doing these things because they're the things we think need to be done. And over time, that can grow, right? We get this idea of the checklist of purity, and maybe that checklist grows. The Pharisees did that. Because, see, we take the Old Testament commandments, even if we take all little nuanced things. You know, we've got, you know, over 600 Old Testament commandments. If you take all the nuanced things, you know, go far beyond the Ten Commandments, get into some of them that are cultural situations that, that, that applied to their day and maybe aren't as applicable today. We, we've got a long list of laws, but the Pharisees, especially those like these black and blue Pharisees, they would take not just that list of commandments, but they would grow their list. And when we get too focused on the external ideas of purity, we can do that. We can go, well, if, if this was good, well, I'm going to take it one step further. And if we take it too many one steps further, then sometimes we can look and figure out, oh, well, that, those extra steps didn't actually look more like God. In fact, at some point, they can start to look less like God because we so miss the point that the things we're actually doing aren't making us look any more like who God would call us to be. So sometimes we get in this temptation of putting on our public face of doing the things we feel like we're supposed to do and those external things miss the point of our internal reality. I remember one time while I was in seminary, I had a class with, with Dr. Garland, who was, he is a brilliant scholar, and I, it was my day to present, so I had done like a big exegetical paper and, and I got to present for the class discussion, like lead that class discussion, and as the class discussion flowed, and it was, it was end time stuff, so that's fun. Uh, and as the class discussion flowed and we were talking through it, I, w- I was talking about kind of my perspective on something, and I kind of paused, and I was like, the thing is, I, I want to be conservative with this. Now, I realize conservative is a loaded word in our culture, but I mean, you know, in theological terms, I was like, I want to be conservative, you know, and in my mind, there was a checklist of things that it meant to be conservative. And he said something that really struck with me. He said, well, what does it mean to be conservative? It's conservation of truth. Now that struck me because I do want to seek to be true to the gospel and true to what God would tell me. And so seeking a list of conservative things, well, that that doesn't actually get me there. 
seeking truth, seeking to follow God faithfully, sometimes might even lead me to change my opinion because I realize that my opinion doesn't actually match up with that checkbox of things said. Now, in the same vein, we're prone to live our lives with lists of right and pure things that sometimes miss the core of what we're seeking. We certainly do it in politics, regardless of the side of politics you land on. I am not looking to talk sides, but we do it in politics. Stepping to one side of the divide and imagining that a party checklist is the beliefs that are inherently pure and right. No matter which side of the aisle it's on, we are prone to imagining that. We do it in our relationships. You know, us deciding who's right or who's wrong and forgetting how ugly these human connections can be in our broken world. And in the midst of that, we can miss what it looks like to love people. And we certainly do it in religion, trying to be pure at the expense of loving God and loving others. Now, I dare say that the first two things you know, ignoring the need for our internal reality, effort that misses the point of our internal reality, I, I think we can do those on accident. I really do. I, I think it happens to all of us that we look up one day and we realize that what we've been doing misses who we were intending to be and what we were intending to do. But I also think there's external effort that disguises an internal reality. And... I dare say this is maybe even a bit more nefarious because I think there are times that we are tempted to intentionally hide what we are on the inside because we don't want the world to, to view us that way when we know there is something, there's something on the inside that I should be working on, that I should be praying through, that I should be seeking God's help and the help of other believers to work past this because there's, there's something on the inside that, that needs some growth. And at least in small ways and many times in large ways, I, I think we've all got those little things in our heart. I mean, frankly, none of us are Jesus, so I don't think there's anybody in here who is perfectly pure in heart. We've all got little areas that we miss the mark. Acts chapter 5, verse, uh, well, the beginning of Acts chapter 5, we've, we've got a passage that, well, frankly, it's a little troubling to me. Ananias and Sapphira, you know who they are? Anybody? Anybody? A few of you? All right, Pastor Mike didn't even raise his hand, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're, they're this couple, and if you don't recognize them, this is Acts, so this is the early New Testament church. The church is figuring out who it's going to be. And it says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. So as a couple, they sell this piece of property and they give some of the money to the church. Now, it's easy to read that and be like, well, why did the church insist on having all the money? If you're reading this passage, that's not what the issue is. See, they give this money to the church, but they also lie to the church. And in a sense, they attempt to lie to God as well. See, they give this money for the church, and they say that they gave the entire 
value, the entire price of the land. The problem was there was something broken in their hearts there. See, they were, they were basically lying about what they had done. Now, on the one hand, as he's saying, yeah, big deal. But it's not about the money. There's something in their hearts that they're going, I'm going to lie to the church. I'm going to lie to God. I'm going to try to be something different on the outside than I am on the inside. And it, well, we'll just say it doesn't end well for Ananias and Sapphira. See, they, they missed the mark. They put a lot of effort into an external purity that other people could see to try to impress other people. But that, that external effort, it, it was a camouflage. More than a camouflage, because I, I think we're all prone to, to hiding our worst, our, 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 well, the worst of ourselves. I would say what they did was more than a camouflage. It was an intentional deception. It was an intentional choice to say, hey, I know I'm one thing on the inside and I'm choosing to be that thing, but I am going to lie to you on the outside. I am going to say, hey, I, I'm going to give a completely opposite impression to the world on the outside of what is happening on my inside. It's external effort intended to disguise an internal reality. Now, it's often true that we're blind to the shortcomings in our own hearts, and we need to grow in our faith to recognize who we are and where we're falling short. But we're all in danger of facing down an ugly temptation. And as we face that temptation, embracing it, and not just saying, hey, God, help me through this, but just giving up and saying, you know what? That's just who I am. And I'm going to be a different face to the outside world, but inside, deep in my heart, I'm going to embrace this ugly thing about myself. And I think that is an ugly danger for all of us. And if I'm looking at this story of Ananias and Sapphira, I, I think that's what happened to them. They took something very ugly inside them and they didn't just fall into it, they chose it as who they were. And it led to their demise. It led to the end to the, of them, that ugly thing. But what does that mean for us? When we think of this idea of purity, how, how are we to change? Let's, let's meditate on this as the band comes out. I said meditate. I said it. <laughs> No, let's take a minute to meditate on it. Because the reality is, you know where you are in your faith. And in truth, no one else in this room can know what's happening deep down inside you. Now, I will say we are all prone to lying to ourselves. So sometimes it takes some thought and some meditation to think about where we are. But as the band plays, I want you to ponder who you are on the inside and what kind of changes it will take for you to have your heart, your innermost being, look a bit more like who God 
is calling you to be. Please meditate on that. See, the reality is we can make dramatic changes to the outside that don't reflect the inside in the slightest bit. We can change the way we look to the inside the entire world and the reality is God is looking at our hearts. See, ultimately, if our hearts look ugly to God, then who cares what everybody else thinks? Who cares what reality we can give to the imaginations of the rest of the world if our internal reality is ugly? If that pure in heart internal reality we're living with is not one, that shows our love for God and our love for others. I won't try to give you a list of things to, to say and do to have a pure heart because however valid some of the things on that list might be or seem, when we cling to a list instead of faithfully seeking God, we'll eventually miss the point just like the Pharisees did. But I will tell you this. Blessed are the, are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I believe there is a reality to that, that as our hearts are closer to who God would call us to be, as we love God and love other people better, as, as we get to that point where our hearts are pure in what we're seeking, it changes the way we see this world. When I see the world in a way that is seeking God. It impacts the way I see other people, especially when those other people are awful to me. <laughs> especially when those other people in some way deserve for me to be angry at them or mean to them. And yet when I'm looking through God's eyes, it changes the way that I respond, the way that I see the world, the way that I see God. When we have that purity of heart showing in the way we love God and the way we love others, it changes how we see everything. And I don't think we can truly see God or truly understand that until our hearts are growing toward that purity we are called to. Blessed are the pure in heart. May we each grow our hearts that we would seek God this week. Go in peace.